Good morning, everybody. If you have that Bible, uh, we're going to continue in our series in Ephesians. If we haven't met yet, my name's Jose, and hopefully you have a copy of the Bible with you. If you don't own one, you can just take the one that was given to you. If not, um, I encourage you to bring your Bible. We'll pray, and we'll just uh, jump right in. Lord, Lord, we do thank you for another day to worship you, to be in this place, to be gathered together as your people. And Lord, you know what we're all going through. I have no idea. But you know every detail about every person, and you care, and you're working behind the scenes, and we don't see it all. But we've come together to praise you, even those of us going through really hard things, those of us who are rejoicing over great news, no matter where we're at, we're here to worship you because uh, you're the king, and there's no one like you, and we need you. So, Lord, grow us this morning as we look to the scriptures, as we look to one another to learn and to grow. We pray that our lives will be changed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so in week four, if you're new, on a series through a letter, Paul wrote an ancient letter uh, to a church in Ephesus. And we're looking at it because we're finding it very relevant to everyday life. So we're going to continue to read. Uh, and we're going to continue from chapter one and verse 15. But before we do that, just as just a reminder, because some of us are kind of coming in and out, or maybe your first Sunday, we have asked you to do three things. I'm going to put them up, and we'll put them up every week, just as a reminder, because sometimes we forget. First thing, read or listen to Ephesians every single week, and it's going to become more important as we go on, because the more you read something, the more you think you know it, and so they say, eh, I don't need to read it. The Holy Spirit is working Every single time I open the Bible. Every time. So I was just reading it this morning before we came here, and I had to write notes. I, did, I don't write because my handwriting's terrible. I had to type notes for a message three weeks from now of something I never saw. And I read it at least once a week, multiple times a week, but read it every week. Uh, bring your Bible. Why? Because I want you looking at it, and sometimes an app is a reason to check a football score. And, and that's not bad, it's just evil. And so, uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. Just check the scores, Jesus is watching. Uh, bring, bring a notepad, because if I bring something and I'm ready to write, I'm, anticip I'm actually expecting something to happen. If I don't bring anything, I'm not expecting, or it's like, eh, I'll remember it, which factoid, you won't. Especially if you're over 40, you definitely won't, all right? And I'm in that camp. And then talk about what we're learning. Uh, learning starts or uh, grows here, doesn't end here. So the best way to get the most out of today is to talk about it with someone else. That's the best thing that you could do because you're going to find someone else has a nuance you didn't have. Someone else is going to affirm, maybe answer a question, and you could do that for somebody else. So, so there we go. Right, ready? Now... Uh, my friends are going to come, and we're going to hand out, and I'm doing it this way on purpose. I'm interrupting myself, and they're going to hand out to every single one of you. Some of you missed it last week. This is only week two of our community group discussion guide, and, and I want you to get it, and I want every one of you to have it, and I want you to put it in your Bible or with your notebook because this is not the outline to what I'm going to say. It's based on what I'm going to say. Here's where to go ahead. If you're in one of our communities and you tried to do it this week and said, holy cow, there's way too much. Here's the tip. There are three things on getting to know you on purpose. Choose one. Choose two. 
if you're a newer group or if you're going to say, I'm going to do this with three other people I've never met, that getting to know you is part of the learning. It's not just about information. It's about relationships. So you don't have to do all of them. And then the going deeper, we're putting lots of things you could do. You don't have to go through it all. Uh, this is not like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way through. What do I do? Stop and have dessert. Like, no, no big deal. This is just going to fuel growth. We're going to hand these out every week for uh, seven weeks in a row because we want to get in the habit of, of talking about what we're learning. They'll keep passing those through. And again, eventually you'll get to a place where you're just going to get yours because you'll know to get it. But this is brand new for us. So we're going to do it this way. All right, let's just read Ephesians uh, 1. And we'll start in verse uh, 15. And let's just uh, read it together. I'm reading from the NIV. For this reason, now that's tying in everything you just said in the, the verses 3 to 14. For, based on what I just told you, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. That phrase, I've not stopped giving thanks, is the driving thought of everything we're reading right now. He's like, based on everything God has done in Jesus, I can't stop thinking and thanking God for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord, a God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart, it's a Jewish euphemism. It's a way of saying that in the deepest place, your heart doesn't have eye, eyeballs, but in the deepest place of the center of who you are, you may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he describes the power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him, Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and in every way. So what I try to do when I'm reading a long thing is can I summarize it in one sentence? And I'm doing this each week to make a practice out of it. When I read something long, what's one sentence that I think would give the heart of it? All of chapter one, I think could be put in one sentence. I'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, and I just thought about it. This is probably sort of almost close to right. This is just my attempt, okay? This isn't the Bible. It's just my attempt. Praise, which is verses 3 through 14, and prayer, which is 15 to the end, are the natural response to our relationship with God. What, are, what does Paul start the letter with? Praise to God. Prayer to God is the most natural thing that you and I could do. So I'm not going to assume you're all Jesus followers, but no, if you choose to follow the way of Jesus, if you receive his grace and his mercy and his transforming power, 
the most natural thing that you can do is praise God and, and pray to God. And those are like loaded church phrases, so I'll describe them. Praise. What's praise? It's simply giving thanks to God for who he is and what he's done. Praise is to remember, I see God in that. Uh, man, I was able to eat this week. Well, I got a job, so what? Of course I can eat. No, no, no. God provided a job, food. He provided a safe place for me to live. Wow. I could just say, well, that's because I live in a good neighborhood and I got a good job. And I, no, no. I see God. I pray. I thank him because I recognize this came from him. And then prayer is simply talking to and, capital A-N-D, listening to God. Uh, in other words, it's relationship. Because we have a relationship, the natural thing, the most natural thing I could do is to thank God that he's brought me close and to talk to him about everything. So giving thanks, talking to God, listening, they're just the natural response. But I will say this, because I see it, I look at you as we're praising, praise doesn't always feel natural. It, it, it feels awkward. And prayer is even more weird. It's hard. It's confusing. I'm talking to no one or someone I can't see. And how do I know when to stop? And do I have to pray for the same thing every day until I see a change? All those things, I'm saying that, that, that's the greatest, most natural thing we could do. And it's a challenge and that's okay. That's why we have one another. So in your community groups this week, we have a little section on prayer and you describing what prayer looks like to you. And please just be honest. If it's frustrating or if it's slow, if it's dynamic, if it's amazing, share that. And we want to learn from one another on what prayer is. And that's the reason we're doing the guide. Now, what does prayer look like to Paul? Look at verse 15 again. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers, 17, I keep on asking that God, uh, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, and there's this interesting phrase, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Some of your translations have capital S. Some of your translations have lower S. Something that means like that he would give you this inner wisdom and revelation. And others think, no, it's actually the Holy Spirit who is wisdom and revelation. I think the NIV gets it right here that it's referring to the Holy Spirit. Why? There's a parallel passage in Colossians where it definitely ties revelation and wisdom to the Holy Spirit. So enough on that. What I want to say is Paul starts by thanking and praising God for the evidence of growth in this church. So what's the natural thing? He prays that they keep on growing. The prayer is for growth. I have not stopped giving thanks. He's known them for years. He loves them. He spent three years plus with them. He's, he sent people back and forth to check on them when he's gone. He has deep connection, which is a reminder. You pray for the people and the things that you care about which is why one another life, together life, is so important as a Jesus follower because God is going to guide the things you can praise him about and the things that you can pray about by the relationships that you have. He uses the people around you to drive you back to him. 
And it's the very getting away from yourself and your own stuff that's going to cause you to see God more. Because if my focus is on you and I hear your story and my heart is grieved or I'm burdened and I pour out my heart to God for you, it puts my problems in perspective, doesn't it? But if you get caught up in the me, 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 me cycle, what will happen is eventually you'll fall into despair or confusion or like, I wonder why. But if you get out of that into others and begin to praise God for the evidence of growth, when I see you and I see what God's doing in your life, it makes me smile. Like this isn't a waste of time. It's actually not a waste of time. But seeing the evidence of your growth in Jesus brings joy to my heart. So what's the prayer? Why does he keep praying again and again and again for them? He prays for growth. Now, this is tied back to verse, if you just go back to verse 13 for a second, why does he pray for growth? When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So you and I, we have the Holy Spirit. The reason he prays for growth is because God has given himself to all those who follow Jesus. So if you have the Holy Spirit, the most natural thing that you could do is praise God. Why? The Holy Spirit makes your mind aware of God's goodness. And, and, and if you're not attuned to it, you may think that was luck, that was chance, that was my own effort. And the Holy Spirit says, no, that was me. And you, you go back to God and say, thank you. And at the same token, when you don't know what to do, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to drive you to say, I'm here. I'm with you. And you don't have to worry. So let me just ask you two clarifying questions as we think about what this text means. Are you growing, do your own self-assessment, are you growing in Jesus' likeness right now? Like if you look at the track record of not just a couple of days, because we all have bad days, we all have bad weeks, sometimes we have bad seasons. I get that. There's ups and downs. But would you say the trajectory of your life right now when it comes to following Jesus is I am, I see myself being challenged by my own un-Jesus likeness. And I'm finding that I'm seeing ways to become more like Jesus. Or is it like, eh, are you content? This is the tougher question. Are you content with the pace of your progress? Are you satisfied with the pace of growth in your life? Now that could be possible and it does happen. This is why I think Paul, who's in prison because he's chosen to become a follower of Jesus and a leader in the Jesus movement and other people are trying to stop him, falsely accused, in prison, waiting trial. And he's like, I can't stop thanking God for you. I see evidence of growth. And because I'm a little further in the journey, I know the best thing I could do is ask God that you'll keep growing, 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 growing. Now I'll go on a side rabbit trail just for a second because it's early in the morning and I love you. What is it in our culture that's going to keep us from even being aware of our need to grow? And I would dare suggest this is one of probably many, is we are overwhelmed with things. Our material possessions are the greatest blessing and the potential greatest crutch to our spiritual development. Because the moment I think that these things are mine, I'm already off base. And the moment I put my trust in these things over Jesus for all things, it's hard to grow in him when I think he's secondary. 
But if you travel or if you're here and you know people who have less resources than you, often, not always, often though, you're going to find a deeper well of connection to Jesus. Our things don't have to be a hindrance, but they can become a hindrance. And then this obsession with information. Our phone is the greatest blessing and the greatest challenge to our spiritual development that we have in our generation. Why? We have too many apps. And every app is an opportunity to be distracted from the presence of God. So we have to be attuned. Why does Paul pray? Because he saw the iPhone coming. He saw it. 2,000 years ago, he saw the iPhone coming and he knew there'd be digital distraction. No, I don't think he saw the phone, but he saw a life in a big city. Ephesus is a big city with money and so much to do and so much to be involved in. And I think that that could keep us. It doesn't have to hear me. Wealth and possessions are a blessing from above if you recognize them as a blessing or they are a crutch or in the worst case scenario, they will be a curse. And you can die rich and spiritually poor. You can die wealthy and have no track record of Jesus' change in your soul. You still get to be with Jesus forever. He's marked you with the seal of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the inheritance that is to come. You still get eternal life. You still get the presence of God. But oh my gosh, the things that you missed out on here. Don't let that happen to you. All of that was bonus and gravy. I won't remember any of it for 11 o'clock. All right. Three things. I literally won't. I, I say things and then I forget them. All right, three things that we see Paul driving to towards growth. And I want you to write them down and in your groups reflect on them this week. Number one, he prays that you, we would grow in the hope or the confidence of our calling. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better, that you would grow, know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or that you may, underline this, may know the hope to which he has called you. And, and this is why, by the way, we're inviting you to read all of Ephesians every week because it reminds us of the hope of our calling, not just the little passage, read the whole thing. And it's possible to, to be a, a Jesus follower for a long time and have no growth. It's possible to have the Holy Spirit and never invite him to guide your day. It's possible to have eternal life but not experience the presence and the closeness of God in the here and the now uh, because they can lose the hope or the confidence of their calling. Now, here's the good news. You can be following Jesus two weeks and radically grow. Two years and radically go. And the thing about following Jesus for a long time is you realize number of years does not equate to maturity. You could follow Jesus 40 years and be completely immature. You could follow Jesus six months and radically grow. The question is, do you want growth? Are you pursuing growth? Do you desire growth? The Holy Spirit is already there to fuel it, but you need to participate in him. And so what kind of growth is he, is he talking about? He's, no, he uses the phrase in verse 18, you would know the hope, quote unquote, to which he called you. Hope is a tricky word though, because hope in English for us means wish. Like I hope that next year we could have a fun vacation. I wish. I hope that I get something good for Christmas. I wish. Biblical hope though is very different. In your groups this week, we listed out some helpful uh, open-ended questions to you to talk about 
what hope means. Because our definition of hope, if you go to a group of eight people, your definition of hope is going to be probably radically different. Here's a biblical definition of hope. Hope in Ephesians is this. Write this down or take a photo of it. Hope is the confident expectation that God's promises will be fulfilled. Hope in the Bible is not wish. Hope is confident expectation based on the character of God, who God is and what God has done. As I look at the track record of God, I hope, I am confident that God will and then fill in the blank. So when he says to the church, I want you to grow to know Jesus better, grow in what? Grow in the confident expectation that God is who he says he is and God does what he says he'll do and you are who God says you are. No matter what anyone else says about you, you ought to listen to God and not anybody else. Now, everyone else, you can listen to them, but just put them in perspective of God. And if God says this about you and they say this about you, I'd put their opinion low and God's opinion as true. And now this, this hope is connected. The hope of your calling. It's why we read the whole chapter. In verses 3 to 14, he talked about the beautiful calling that you have. The God who called you while you weren't even following him is the same God who predestined that at the right time, Jesus would be the person who would rescue us and redeem us from our sin and our debt and our evil and our death. And he would bring us into adoption to be sons and daughters of God. Don't forget that what Jesus did, he did for you. And not only did he do it in front of everyone for the whole world, by faith, when you, put, when you heard the good news, this is Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, when you heard the good news of your salvation and you believed, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. You are not the same old kid. You're not. The reason he has to pray and remind them is life has a way of beating us, doesn't it? Life has a way of causing us to forget. It's funny, when I look back at the track record of my life, when I was in high school, we went through some of the most financially difficult times that a family could ever go through for lots of reasons. But it was like, like no food, like, like no money to pay the mortgage, nothing. But you know what it taught me? God is faithful and we survived and I'm alive. But a little financial shortfall happens and I'm like, what do I do? I forget. Am I the only one? I forget the faithfulness of God. And so my word to you is, let's pray that we don't forget the faithfulness of God. Because the faithfulness of God is the reason I have confidence that what he did, he will do. Which, he, which means he's saying, don't forget who you are in Jesus. And don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Right, that's the first thing. The second thing is um, from verse 18 in the middle, so that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And then the second one, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Second thing, write this down, that he prays for, that they would grow in is, grow in understanding who we are and what we have. He prays that they would grow in the hope, the confidence that the God who called you is faithful. And yeah, I may have gone off course and I may have done this or forgotten to do that, but God is faithful. He sealed me with the Holy Spirit. He's not done with me and my circumstances are not the most true thing about me. 
The most true thing about me is who God is and who God says I am. So he says to them, I want you to remember the riches. You know, you may be financially very much skirting by, but you are the most wealthy person if you belong to Jesus. Why? He's the creator. He has everything. He holds the world in the palm of his hand. Metaphor. It's not like he has huge hands, man hands. Like It's no... He holds the whole, he knows the beginning and the end. He is God, there's no one like him. You belong to him. Not only do you live on his street, so to speak, you're his child. Let that sink in. Just sit on that. You belong to Jesus, and Jesus smiles at you. So that doesn't mean your tomorrow won't be hard. Hear me. doesn't mean we don't have challenges. But what we're going to see in Ephesians is he's going to list out the inheritance that you have. And he's going to say, because you have an inheritance, an inheritance is rights and responsibilities. If you were to come into a windfall, let me tell you, two people would be coming after you. One, the federal government. You come into a financial windfall, they want their cut, right? They want their tax. They want their money. But then you'd also have everyone who's like, man, can I get a piece of that? They would be after you as well. You, if, if you have an inheritance, it means that you have a responsibility, human inheritance, to the government and then to take what you have been given and do something. If there's someone that you're connected with with a need, man, maybe because of your inheritance, maybe the right thing to do is help them. If they're a moocher, the answer is no, right? A, a, an inheritance goes both ways. You get the benefit and the responsibility. And hear me, because you belong to Jesus... He prays that they will grow to know what they've received, what they have because they belong to him, and the responsibility. And that's all of chapters 4, 5, and 6. He's going to drill into, if we belong to Jesus, parenting looks different. If we belong to Jesus, relationships belong, uh, are different. Business relationships, marriage relationships, friendship relationships. If we belong to Jesus, what we do with our time and our energy and all that now I'm accountable. I'm a child of God. That makes me blessed and accountable. And so keep pressing in on this series. But for today, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to consider dropping the limitations that you've put on yourself. I think we all, because of our background, because of our personality type, because of our history, our experience, what we've read, we are all putting these limitations on ourselves that might be right, like I can't fly. That's a limitation, right? I mean, I can go in an airplane, but I can't fly. That's a healthy limitation. But you know what? There are things that God may want me to do that I believe I cannot do. And so I think what Paul's praying here, the heart of it is church in Ephesus a move of God, but in a city that is not following the way of Jesus, do not limit what God wants to do through you. Don't put limitations and don't let your disappointments dictate your possibilities. You may be disappointed by this, that, or the other, but that doesn't mean the future won't look different. If God is for you, who can be against you? And what we want to do is rediscover and pray for each other that we would take off the blinders and say, you know what? If I'm belonging to Jesus, and I am, then I ought to be limited by what Jesus limits me with. No less. No more, no less. And I think that you, in the next few months and years, may see God do more 
by you simply trusting that he actually will. So it begins with the mind. We need to remember we belong to Jesus. All right, the final one is connected to it. Uh, Third, write this down, that we would pray that we would grow in the power of God working in and through us. We want to pray that we would have confidence, the hope in our calling. We want to pray that we understand who we are and what we have. And we want to pray that we will grow in the power of God. Look at verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. So following Jesus isn't a philosophy. You know, people categorize it. You go to Powell's and you see like mystery and you see history and you see cookbooks. And then you see philosophy and religion as this book category. And Christians are put in in the middle of every other, you know, whether it's Islam or Judaism or Shintoism or whatever, or New Age, whatever you want to put, we're just like, we're, we're shelf space, a philosophy of life. And if that's you and you're not following Jesus, I kind of get it. We're like a belief system. But these people are following Jesus, and his word to them is that following Jesus isn't a philosophy only. It is a way of living. It's about power, like real power. Which is why he describes the kind of power. Look at the end of verse 19. That power is the same as his mighty strength. What kind of strength? That he exerted, God. When God raised Christ from the dead, that's like real power. Not only that, and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, there's no authority greater than Jesus. And God did that. That's real resurrection Power. And I think we need, we need to lay hold of that, that this isn't just a belief system to help me through my day, that following Jesus is about resurrection power. The power that can turn death to life. The challenge is some of us philosophically think that might be possible, but in our experience, we're like, I doubt that will ever happen. So we immediately throw... The, the blinders back on and the hindering blocks. So, well, don't get all kind of crazy about your Christianity, Jose. I'm like, I want like chill Christianity, right? The problem is that's not Christianity. We believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. We're already foolish. And I hate to remind you of how foolish your faith is. Or it's the power of God. And I want to remind you, we need to pray and press in to the power of God, to really change things. Now, they were living in a power culture. Remember, Ephesus has the temple to Artemis, the, the goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility, right? So there's all sorts of religious power, and people believed that this goddess brought life. And it's a financial powerhouse because it's an economic engine that supports city, and it's a, it's a cultural powerhouse because it's one of the big cities in Rome where the ideas of Roman ideology spread throughout the empire through Ephesus. And here's, he, he uses a play on words. All those powers ain't no power compared to God's power. So, so yes, you live in a city of power, but don't you forget the power of God. And, and this is an area, to state the obvious, as a church, we, it's time for us to grow. It's time for us to grow into believing that the things of the Bible aren't just moral history lessons to tell us how to be nice people so that we're kind. God parts the Red Sea, people. 
Think about that one. Jesus walks through tombs as Lazarus, get out. Think about that one. He, he opens eyes that are literally blind and it's impossible for someone to behold. A woman has been bleeding for 14 years and she has absolutely no hope. And every doctor has taken her money but not provided a cure. And Jesus says, he didn't even say anything. He just walks by and she's healed. So we need to grow into the power of God to change reality because that's what he longs to do. And, 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 and you say, well, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with all of that. I would just remind you, you believe that a dead man was raised to life and is the king of the universe. So by its very nature, what we're believing is that the power of God is seen in his world and is changing real things. And you do believe that on faith in him, by God's grace, that you're going to spend forever with God. Now you are either right or you're crazy. So we might as well just jump into the deep end of the pool and get out of the kiddie part where like we put our toe in like, Jesus, like heal a sore thumb, you know? We might as well just dive in and say, Jesus, do whatever you're gonna do and I'm game on and I have no power, uh, but you were raised from the dead and you're seated on the throne and, and remind you, he's talking to Ephesus, they, they understand thrones and authority and Caesar's authority and the provincial leader's authority. And there are people who can stop you or enable you to do stuff, and those are the people above you. And, and what he's saying is Jesus is above every single power. Why am I yelling? Why not? Oh, thank you very much. I'm just kind of caught up in this. Because it's absolutely true, or we're all crazy. Straight up. So here's our, our thought to leave you with. Life is a power struggle. Life right now is a power struggle. There's the power in your mind. You're either believing what God says about you or you're believing other things. So there's a power struggle. There's a wrestling that we're gonna see in Ephesians 6 and it's not against flesh and blood. It's not people versus people, but it's powers and principalities in high places that are trying to stop you from living as a child of God and thwart you from growth in God. And there's, there's uh, relational power struggles right now, like our relationship with our time. And, you know, like, I didn't have time to read the Bible. I didn't have time to breathe, but I did it. The entire time I was up here, I decided it would be healthy to breathe. And so at the same token, we're going to have all these excuses that we're going to have. There's a power struggle. Every reason why you can't, why you can't. And what I'm going to say is that Paul was praying for the church and as a community, we're praying for one another that will grow in power, the power of God at work within us, humbly, carefully, but wholeheartedly. And it's why we need to grow in praise and prayer. So, well, how do I, how do I enter the battle if it's a power struggle? Praise. When I get my mind back on the goodness of God, when I thank him for what he's done, when I recognize him as God of all things, when I see his fingerprints in my life, it, 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 it gets my mind thinking, hey, wait a minute, but there's this going on in your life and in my life, and if he did that, then why won't he do the other? And so praise and prayer are where we begin to grow. It's not where it ends. There's something about mental growth, growth in the word, growth in maturity, growth in living it out, but I just long to see that we would grow in the power of God because of verse 22. And we'll, um, 
We'll read this verse and we're going to respond in worship. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything, and here's the clause, for the benefit of the church. That's the way to read it. He's above and he's head, not just, look, I'm in charge. No, he's done this for the benefit of the church, which is his body, his living organism, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Jesus is the head of all things for our benefit. So when it comes to growth, hear me, I am not saying, you better grow, you better grow. What I'm saying is, approach God with praise. Talk to him about everything. Listen to him and you will grow. That's what I'm saying. Press in to the presence of God and the result will be growth. Read the Bible, not because it's an ancient book and I just told you to, but because it's the word of God that's living and active and sharper than any double-edged shores and it divides between soul and spirit, mind, thought. There's anything that you need to know in life, God can make it clear to you by what you read, which was read, written thousands of years ago. This makes no sense. We're either in tune with God or we're crazy. God wrote thousands of years ago stuff for us that applies to everyday life today. So this is real and I would just say to us, because Jesus is the Lord over everything, he's doing it for your benefit and he wants you to grow in him. All right, two things. One, can you think of one thing that you're thankful for? We wanna enter into a time of praise and response, right? Let's respond with hearts that are filled. What's one thing that you're thankful for? Just think about it. If you have to write it down, write it down. One thing that you're thankful for. And let's begin there and let the Holy Spirit drive the rest of it. And then secondly, what's one thing that you're asking God for? Let's approach God. Let's respond to him with thanksgiving. Wow, you're amazing. Look at what you've done. And I'm needy. God, I need you. And the one who called you is faithful and he'll do it. It may not happen in our time but he'll do it. So let's come to him. Why don't we stand on our feet if we would? And um, there's lots of ways to respond. We're gonna sing songs. There's a room that we set aside. It's just across the hall because we're finding that sometimes we need to connect with one person and really pray this through, talk this through. And so at any point, if God stirred you about anything, then I would encourage you uh, just to slip out of your seat and make your way just right out that door across. There's some couches, it's more quiet, and our prayer team is there and they love you. And they're just a part of this church and they wanna see you grow. And so they've dedicated this time to pray with you. So make the most of it. Lord, we're amazed that you would even take time to think about us, who are we? But you've chosen to show us your love perfectly in Jesus and Lord, because of your death and resurrection, now we can experience life and life in abundance. So God, we ask you, we ask you to grow us as we do our part, as we come to you with all things, as we come with thanksgiving, as we come with prayers, we, as we come with repentance, whatever it is, Lord, as we come to you, will you keep us from becoming stagnant and stale, but we want to be fruitful people. Lord, grow us even as we experience your presence and worship this morning. Jesus' name.